Welcome to RSP Scout Talk. I'm Matt Waldman and joining me today is someone I've been looking forward to doing this show with for a while. We're going to have a running back episode and someone that I've gotten a chance to to follow um, in the recent months and, you know, Felix Felix Sharp, who, you know, obviously we see every other week here, um, really had great things to say about him and that's Noah Hills. He has a site called um, nomoreparties.com and his and it's the site when you go right up there says the best rb of vowels on the planet which hey look i'm an rb guy i know i'm known as one noah's known as one what better than all we need is jay moyer and then like we could have a we could have a trio here that would be a fun show of folks who really enjoy the running back position so noah um welcome i'm so excited about being able to do this show with you yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. Um, I'm I'm very excited as well. Uh, I have you know followed your work for a couple of years now. Uh, got the most recent RSP, of course, and uh, we had a good 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 pre pre show discussion. I'm looking forward to continuing that uh, on air. Should should be a lot of fun. Without a doubt. So let's just start with this. I mean, if you want to learn more about Noah's site, go to Noah N O A H More M O R E Parties dot com. Noah More Parties. Dot com and you'll and you'll see that he's got you know he's got free content he's got content that um that's paid content behind the subscriber wall dynasty rankings Debbie rankings rookie rankings rankings updates all there and i laugh because i look to see on his twitter handle you can also you know at, you know learn more about noah there also at um also noah hills yours is at at no more parties also on Twitter mm -hmm. and I looked at what was pinned there and listen you know it was meant to be because you know being RB guys that we are Noah started his site on February 6th and February 6th is my birthday so we're like we're like you know I I'm just telling there you, you there's a connection right there so <laughs> why are you why are you passionate about the running back position why'd you start start it like this why'd you decide that you're going to devote something to running backs yeah, I, I don't think uh, when I first started writing fantasy content in like 2017, uh, my my focus wasn't running back. I was just kind of a, a generalist, like I think most are. Um, but I think I have always just been interested in and fascinated by running backs. Uh, I stopped playing uh, football after eighth grade. Um, but up until that point, I, I was a running back myself. Uh, so I, I naturally gravitated towards those players just as my favorite players in the NFL, uh, Amon Green and Chris Johnson and Clinton Portis. These, these, these were just my favorite players to watch um, in the NFL. Reggie Bush uh, was another one. Um, so I, I just liked running backs growing up. And then when I first uh, decided to make fantasy content, around that same time, I went on a on a backpacking trip with my dad and was prepping for a fantasy draft at the time. So I had just one of those, one of those fantasy magazines they put out every summer and was flipping through one. And I, I just noticed that, uh, you know, Joe Mixon, Le'Veon Bell, David John, like these, all, all these guys were roughly the same size, very similar athleticism. And so uh, whether that was right or wrong, I think that was maybe a little misguided. I, I, I concluded that, a lot of these these good running backs in the league are kind of shaped similarly in in aesthetic or, or you know physical ways. Like they they have a lot of traits in common. Something that I 
is maybe kind of obvious, but I had never really noticed before, thought about. Um, and then I got to thinking, there, is there some sort of, you know, like platonic ideal of a running back and what would that look like? And so I started collecting data um, on running backs specifically. My process has changed significantly since then, but I think, yeah, that flipping through that magazine was what kind of sparked my uh, my focus on running backs. And that's just kind of, you know, I've, I've followed that since. Yeah, well, you know, I love listening. I love hearing about some of the players that you were, you know, that you you liked as a fan and then how you transitioned into this. So, I mean, tell us a little bit about, I, I guess to begin with, what are some things, I mean, like I look at the running back position and it's funny that you mentioned like there's like a, that your first thing that you noticed was a sweet spot in terms of like, dimensions and i think that they're de i would agree that you know you see a lot of that but i also it's interesting too to me that when you look at the position of what can work at least as a contributor i think would you agree that it seems like there's a wider range of what could work in the nfl for that position than any other position in the league because you've got guys like Brandon Jacobs on one hand, you know, way back when, who's about the size of a defensive end. But then you have mm -hmm. some guys who like it's it's the extremes. I mean, you know, but like Darren Sproles, who was smaller than a cornerback, might be a slot corner, you know. But I mean, like, mm -hmm. you're you're talking about like multiple position sizes where like Defensive end tends to have a smaller, you know, window or linebacker or any of the positions there. And it feels like with running back, at least from the extreme standpoint, there's a wide range of what can work, even if the ideal is tighter. Yeah, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Um, I think wide receiver is similar, but I, I, I think you're correct that, like, you're not going to see a 260-pound wide receiver where we have seen those kinds of running backs. Um, so yeah, I do think other than maybe kicker, but you know, Sebastian Janikowski is really the only guy and who, <laughs> who cares, who cares what they look like as long as they can swing their leg. Right. Um, but yeah, I do think there's, there's a wide range of, of body types and styles uh, that can work at running back. And I, I, I do think, uh, you know, noticing those kind of similarities between, you know, Mixon and Le'Veon Bell back in the day, uh, kind of kicked off my my focus here, but I I do think that that's something I've had to sort of correct in my own thinking, uh, away from looking for the platonic ideal and more just thinking about uh, what is a player capable of, what role does that make him suitable for in the NFL, uh, what outcomes are available to him uh, versus you know he doesn't fit into this criteria where a lot of the successful backs fit into. And so, you know, kind of disregard, I, I've had to retrain myself after an initial orientation in one direction to acknowledge that, you know, players don't have to look a certain way at this position. They can, they can succeed in all different types of styles. Yeah, that's, that's for sure. And that's something I certainly had to learn too. I, I had to go through the same process and it's like, I, I kind of looked at it as players that offer like if they're not at that platonic ideal, what are the compensatory factors in their game, with their games that still make them as, if not more appealing or 
close to as appealing as the platonic ideal. And I, I, I think a guy that always um, reminds me of that or symbolized that to me was Dalvin Cook. Because Dalvin Cook, when you look at, you know, maybe slightly on the lower side of the, the sweet spot, um, mm-hmm. the vertical leap wasn't great. You know, people weren't happy about some of the metrics with him coming out. He was not a hard cutting back. Never has been really a, a dynamic cutter, though he does have dynamic movement. But his movement style was a good example of a guy who he he played on the ground a lot. So that curvy linear movement, which I've talked a lot about, borrowed from Sean Miska, who's the movement specialist who's worked with guys like Evers, Everson Griffin and um, Everson Griffith and, and a number of other NFL athletes. You know, Patrick Mahomes is a good example of a player with curvy linear speed. When you watch him run, he he bends around angles like a motorcycle going around a, a hairpin turn. And and Dalvin Cook's that way. Even we even we watch him now, rarely do you see a lateral cut. You see him like pitter patter his feet to to mm-hmm. to change direction. And so it's almost like saying when you look at certain metrics, sometimes you look at the metric and go, that doesn't fit this player's game. Like the player's style isn't about hard cutting. So if he's a bad hard cutter, but he can still make NFL caliber athletes miss and and make certain angles or or changes of direction, maybe that's part of the the compensatory factor. There's a bigger risk, obviously, when you start looking at forecasting them, but that thing's still there. So I'm just, I guess I'm curious is are what are things like? I'd love for you to comment on that if you want to, or comment on like. What are some things that you feel like people, in addition to that it can get done in a variety of ways, what are some things that people overlook about the running back position that, that you think is, has, is valuable based on what you're, where you're at with your, your process thus far? Yeah, I think in relevant to fantasy football specifically or fantasy football adjacent scouting uh, specifically, I think a lot of that is numbers based, which is, you know, kind of my natural inclination as well. But I think where that leads us to quite often is mistaking uh, measures or measurements of of traits or of, you know, production or things like that as the arbiters of those things. And uh, I, I think I kind of had a rant about this on Twitter the other day, but uh threshold-based uh, evaluation can can mislead you because it, it it acts as if a single measurement of of a particular trait or ability or whatever it is 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 the arbiter of that thing and so somebody who doesn't run a, a four five forty or you know a four five five or whatever it is 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 slow uh, whether he had training that was interrupted by injury or whether he slipped during his 40 or whether he was sick or, you know, whether he slimmed way down or, you know, he bulked up uh, to run or, you know, maybe he's got good on-field speed that we can verify with tracking data, you know. And there, there I think the point is just that there are other ways to to provide evidence of things outside the context of what we've we've tested and know works there are there are other ways kind of to 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 get at what's being measured by those uh processes that i think is is easy to ignore because it's harder 
film study, I think, is one of those ways. Uh, there are other statistical measures. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm. Particular aspects of running back play are are not really coming to mind, except for I think uh, again in the fantasy football adjacent evaluation space. Uh, I think we often evaluate running backs on everything but their ability to actually run the ball. Uh, we talk about how we talk about how fast somebody is. We talk about how many passes he caught. We talk about uh, you know how how many yards he ran for and what his draft capital is likely to be. But we all of those things sort of dance around and approximate how good we think a guy is at running the ball, but none of them actually directly reference it or address it which is bizarre to me because running backs are, they run the ball. So we should probably care about who the best players at running the ball are. And we often don't. Yeah. I think that's fast. It's funny how that is. And when you brought up, like, I love how you explained that um, idea about, you know, having thresholds, because again, that, that fits also in with like, say Aaron Foster, Aaron Foster being like, what a four, Six five, I think that I think I'm no four seven two. I think was his yeah, forty. Four, yeah, it was four seven something. Yeah, yeah might have been worse than four seven two. I think you're right. So that he was in the four seven range. But you look at the quickness, you look at the cutting ability, and then more, most importantly, like you talked about, how does he set up blocks? How does he read leverage? How does how does he run the football? All the details that go into running the football. So so with that in mind. I mean, what are things that tell us a little bit about your process and what people will find at your site um, in terms of the analysis that you're doing on the position? Yeah, a lot of my uh, analysis is focused on uh, collecting data, uh, putting players' performance in particular areas in historical context, whether that's, you know, just yards per reception or whether that's, you know, the 40 yard dash, whatever happens to be, you know, understanding how impressive a player is historically um, within the context of his own draft class, things like that. Um, but I think as I've, you know, as my process has kind of progressed, I, I realized that I'm, I've, I've essentially been attempting to do film study or film charting without actually having to do that. So <laughs> all of these, I, I've, I've, I value on-field metrics quite a bit. So uh, pro football focus, uh, I think, does, you know, some things well, some things not as well. But I think uh, they have a, a noble aim sure. to uh, qu quantify uh, player performance on the field in, in various ways. Um, I think my, my process is similarly aligned where now I'm, I'm charting film and have uh, defined criteria for, you know, a neutral positive or negative grade in various decision-making categories um, for running backs, like at the line of scrimmage, um, as well as I'm charting, you know, physical interactions with defenders. This particular part of my process is heavily influenced by uh, what what you do in the RSP, um, you know, noting how players uh, react to and succeed or not against various types of contact from various directions and, you know, various degrees of, uh, you know, solidity, I guess is the word I would use sure. um, from different positions, uh, charting evasive maneuvers and categorizing them and noting whether they were su successful or not. Um, so 
what what really interests me, I think, is what drives my process. I'm not really interested in maximizing an R squared value for you know fantasy points per game in a player's first three seasons. I I, I think that's that's fine, um, but I I think there's a a lot of uh, confounding factors that can throw off. Like if you're evaluating players uh, with the aim of accurately predicting their their fantasy output in the NFL. You're, you'd be better off evaluating NFL situations, probably, uh, because running back in particular, uh, I'm not a running backs don't matter guy, but I think we can all acknowledge that running back production and efficiency uh, is very dependent on contextual factors that are just outside of their control. Um, and so if, you're, if your evaluation process is just trained on fantasy points per game, you're, you're only evaluating half of what you need to. Uh, but I, I'm much more interested in just kind of understanding players, appreciating them aesthetically, and that means getting as specific as I can with what I'm measuring on the field. Um, and some of the the non-film charting uh, metrics I like to use are things I've developed uh, with the aid of access to uh, box count data um, for both college and NFL players. So um, I want to know how efficient a running back is, but those those kind of confounding environmental factors make that difficult to compare what does Jameer Gibbs averaging, you know, 6.2 yards per carry at Alabama mean versus Chris Rodriguez, you know, averaging 5.2 at Kentucky? Does that mean Gibbs is way better? Does that mean Alabama has a better offensive line? Is it both? It's difficult to say. So I, I uh, have started using a lot of team relative efficiency metrics where I am then able to, you know, just contextualize Chris Rodriguez's per carry output relative to what the other backs operating in the same offensive environment are producing on their carries to generate sort of like a baseline for whether what Rodriguez is doing is good, bad, somewhere in the middle. Um, I'm also able to take into account uh, the amount of defenders in the box that all of those guys see on a per carry basis, uh, which is a large determining factor in the outcome of any running play. Naturally, you know, more defenders closer to the line of scrimmage. Uh, is more difficult to run against. So, uh, you know, kind of looking at uh, per carry averages, uh, per carry success rates, given those situational factors, uh, comparing players to their teammates to kind of get a better idea of how they're coming to their efficiency, uh, their their stylistic uh, ways of playing the game can kind of be, be gleaned from those um, metrics and then marrying the insights gained there with... Uh, you know, now my film charting process has given me, I, I think I'm just able to speak more intelligently and more, more informed about, about players rather than, well, it seems like he's good at this based on what the numbers tell me, but like now I'm able to actually, you know, go to the film and either confirm, deny, or confuse myself with, uh, more more stimulus so well, i think that's that's kind of how i would describe my process well let's do some of that with with some of the players and one that i think that I, i've been looking forward to hear you talk about because he he other than you and i i think there's some few there's other people i know but the the two of the more vocal people on twitter i know about zach evans have been the two of us in this room so tell me why you why you like Evans's game and what stands out through your process. Yeah, I think first things first, he, uh, ignoring the film, just looking at the numbers, you know, what they tell me. Uh, I know he, he's had some injury history. 
Uh, there are some vague character concerns that I, you know, I can't really speak to one way or the other. Uh, he transferred. Uh, he never really had a full workload. I, there are all these kind of uh, vague concerns that sort of, you know, people use to suggest that something must be wrong with Zach Evans because look at all these things. But none of them actually point to anything specific. And I think if you actually look at, look at what happened on the field, he was incredible. <laughs> all three years of college, really, on, on you know, yep. we, we want our running backs to gain yards and get us closer to the end zone. And very few people, if any, in this running back class were better at doing that than Zach Evans, uh, given the amount of touches he, he handled in, in college. You know, he's incredibly explosive on a, you know, a, a, a chunk gain generating uh, point of view. Uh, he is one of the more consistent runners on a down-to-down -down basis in this class, producing positive outcomes very reliably, uh, despite these, you know, kind of vision or whatever concerns people have on film. Uh, it's, it's not hurting him as far as output on the field goes, if those issues do exist. And he's one of the most efficient backs on a per You know, he averaged, what, seven yards per carry, I think, at, at TCU. He's just been a beast on the field. Uh, even as a receiver, he's got some concentration drops issues. Um, I'm interested in your thoughts, maybe on his his technique as a as a you know securer of the football in the passing game. But when he catches the ball, he's excellent out in space. Uh, I, I just think he's the the numbers point to him objectively being an effective player uh, when he plays. And my my look into his film did nothing but you know kind of back that up. And so I think he's. You know, despite the the ancillary, vague concerns that people have, I think he's just just one of the most effective players in the class when he has the ball in his hands, and that's I think that's what we're looking for when we're scouting running backs. Yeah, and it's funny because none of the none of the off field issues, none of the off field concerns deal with crime or drugs mm -hmm. or anything any bad behavior really it was the the biggest thing i heard was run-ins with coaches well he got suspended for his championship game in high school because he wouldn't give his phone over the night before which was a part of policy now i may be adding more into this than than was actually the case it may have just been an immature decision without focusing on the on the drivers that i'm going to speculate but let's look at the fact that, you know, his parents, from what I hear, weren't really, from what I read, weren't really maybe the central part of his his childhood as much as his grandfather was. His grandfather was the paternal figure. And the grandfather passed away the year before he got recruited. He was a top, he was a, you know, five-star recruit. So everyone on earth was probably calling him. Um, he was handling it himself, which... You know, I don't know many 18, 17, 18 year olds who would probably handle that all that well. He was probably, you know, he he hadn't made great. He he was indecisive about where he wanted to go. So probably having the phone on him was probably very important to him as he was trying to communicate these things. So he probably just didn't handle it right the way that he needed to. And so that made sense. The, the high school staff said he was a good kid. Now, they could have just said that, you know, because you hear people mm -hmm. say that, you know, it's like. When I think about FSU or LSU back in the day when they had a lot of guys get in trouble, and they, oh, they're good kids, but, and then, you know, we find out a lot more, and it's more about 
their recruiting efforts that they were more worried about. But high school doesn't tend to be that way, I would think. So, you know, on top of it, too, he was a great student at TCU. He had a 375 GPA. He was academic. Mm-hmm. He was all academic as a freshman. Um, when he left TCU, I mean, Gary Patterson was telling people at the, around this time last, last year that he was expecting 30 players to leave TCU because the school hadn't gotten their NIL um, deals together right. So, you know, no one thought TCU was going to become a championship team this time last year (laughs) based on that. So when I look Mm -hmm. at all that, and it's not like he, and I've said this before, it's not like he went to Toledo or to Colorado School of the Mines after he left TCU. He went to Ole Miss. That's a lateral move, you know, on the surface, if not a move up to, to the SEC. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, and then he and then you know, um, Quinshawn Judkins turned out to be one of the two best freshmen, in, in, you know, <laughs> at least statistically, in in the NCAA or in Division One, and it seemed like they used him as Mister Inside and used, you know, Evans a little bit more as Mister Outside. Where Evans at TCU was an all-around back. I mean, he was used in every capacity. So when I look at that kind of stuff, it seems to me a lot more smoke than fire. Um, and and as a player, when I watched him as a receiver, I mean, I thought he was flexible. He scooped low tar- targets out pretty well. Um, I thought he did a good job of catching the ball away from his frame, which is important. Um, I, I thought he used the correct position to attack the ball. Sometimes he clapped, attacked, but... Every receiver clap attacks targets. It's just how consistently and how egregiously they do it um, is what really matters more than anything. And he has some lapses where he he has concentration drops where like Terrell Owens or Brandon Marshall back in the day where they had, you know, 57 or 60% catch rates and not very high catch rates, but they got fed the ball a lot. That most of their most of their drops had to do with they were trying to get to open grass before they looked the ball all the way in. Teams can live with that. So for me, when I hear he's a horrible receiver, I kind of keep my mouth shut on that one and just hope that subscribers will will read the scouting report and they'll <laughs> and they can exploit that. You know, even with folks I respect who may may see that and go, he's got horrible hands, and I look and I go, no, they're not so bad. You know that's all right with me. So yeah, I'm, I'm with you. And and from my from what I charted, he was in the upper echelon in a lot of categories for contact balance or for pulling through reaches and wraps. And and I liked your theory about this. And I and I believe I I either quoted you or mentioned it was his combine. You know, he was he was what two o two or two hundred somewhere around there. But he doesn't yeah, look that way. So what was your theory about why he was that weight? Yeah, my well, he was listed at, I believe he was listed at 195 his freshman year at TCU, which I, I think is what he was looking at by the recruiting services coming out of high school. But as of his sophomore year at TCU, he was 212, on the roster at least. Uh, whether that's accurate or not, we don't know, but that's yeah. what he was listed at. And then he was listed at 215 at Ole Miss. So that's that's two different programs uh, that had him listed at at least 212 pounds. Uh, sometimes you see schools, you know, juice these these listed weights on the rosters. Uh, 
I think it becomes a little bit more difficult to believe that it happened in a particular player's case when he played at two different schools, and supposedly that was happening at two different schools. Uh, I also looked back, and, uh, you know, Kendra Miller didn't come in uh, significantly lighter than he was listed at at school, so TCU was presumably not juicing his number. Uh, I remember uh, Snoop Connor, uh or uh, Jerry and Ely. Ely. Yeah, uh, th yeah these, these guys didn't have, you know, massive disparities in what they were listed at in school um, versus at the combine. Like, I, I just don't think this theory about Ole Miss and TCU were boosting his numbers to make him look better on the roster is holds a lot of weight. Um, I think it's more likely that he actually, you know, weighed in at 215. You know, maybe they juiced it up by, you know, three. Maybe they rounded up, you know. Maybe he was 211. And they're like, yeah, we'll throw 215 on there and make it look good. Uh, I think he probably played somewhere around 210-ish, and then it's not uncommon at all for players to drop weight to, to run faster at the Combine, uh, and he got hurt like a week before the Combine, or at least went, that's when around when the news dropped that he had a hamstring issue, and then he showed up to the Combine at 202. This is like a 21, 22-year-old kid uh, with whatever metabolism he wants to have uh you know i remember when i was 21 22 not training like an elite athlete and i could drop five pounds or gain 10 pounds in a matter of a couple days if i wanted to pretty much you know so he need he probably was dropping weight uh maybe significant weight to run at the combine ended up not being able to uh he's not going to you know interrupt his training and his dietary schedule with a week you know for the sake of a week uh, so then he he continues training after the combine. Uh, his agent uh, reached out to me on Twitter and said that he weighed 208 pounds at his pro day, where he ran somewhere between 445 and 452. So I don't I don't think we should have any concerns about his speed, uh, about his weight. I think you know based on how he played on the field. You mentioned his contact balance uh, and his power. I think he's uh, right. I've, I've been charting these, you know, kind of collisions with defenders and things like that. He grades out uh, second among guys in this class that I've watched so far uh, overall and, you know, kind of powering through contact to only Zach Charbonnet, who is a, a, a well-established uh, 215 to 220-pound runner. Uh, and the other guys in that area are Kendra Miller, Tyon Evans, Dwayne McBride. These are all 215 to 225-pound backs. Uh, Evans grades out highest for me in that area against linebackers specifically. If we're concerned about his size, it's it should be either because NFL teams will think he's too small, which they'll figure know, it out. NFL, yeah, we we don't know what happens what happens there, and if that's not the reason why we care, it's because we think it has some sort of negative impact uh, on the field for him, and I think it clearly doesn't. He he clearly does not run like a 202-pound running back would typically run. He runs like he's 220, regardless of what he actually weighs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I find it fascinating, and I thought he was a more advanced decision-maker than Bijan Robinson heading into this year. Um, I think Robinson did a better job with decision-making in, in certain facets of, of blocking schemes that he wasn't as good at the year prior. Um, so you saw some growth with his game. But Evans, to me, is a very polished decision-maker, very efficient runner 
in terms of maybe not, I don't know about the metrics, but in terms of like making decisions against penetration, understanding where the, the, what was the most efficient decision to make based on the blocking scheme and the keys that he's reading. He was really strong at all of that. And so to me, I would not be shocked as long as the, as long as the character based stuff and the injuries are not an issue. And I think they're going to be a non-issue. I would not be shocked at all. If he's one of the, the three best running backs in this class and if someone said he turned out to be the best, wouldn't be shocked at that either, even with all the hype there is for Bijan Robinson. Yeah, I'm I'm completely with you there. And I, wa- I want to uh, circle back to the character concerns thing uh, just shortly. Uh, as far as I can tell, the only, the only thing we've got is these high school run-ins with coaches, the cell phone thing. In, in, in college, you mentioned that, uh, you know, his good grades... As far as I can tell, there have been no other instances where he's had run-ins with teammates or coaches or media members or the law or he's not he's not hitting women. You know, like he he doesn't have these significant issues. As far as I can tell, people didn't like how he handled himself during his recruitment, uh, as if they're entitled to him making a hasty decision, uh, and they they assumed he's a bad kid because he he didn't want to give up his high or his cell phone to his high school coach uh you know maybe those things matter maybe they don't but i think really what's happened is they've resulted in him just not being given charitable readings of his decision making ever since and so every time he misses a game or transfers it's he doesn't have the heart he doesn't play through injuries he lost his job to kendra miller and and bounced and then he lost his job to you know Everything he does now is is just being viewed through negative lenses because he's gained what I view as an unfair reputation as a you know a bad kid or character concerns whatever. But really, all we've got is the cell phone thing, and then yeah, and it's idiotic of, compared yes, to what how the way it, people are making it out. Yeah, yes, it, it, exactly. And and I don't know. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not a doctor. I haven't uh, evaluated him from a, a health standpoint. But I, I am curious to see uh, whether these injury injuries that kind of pop up for him and cause him to miss games here and there. I, I've seen uh, – it doesn't seem to be a, a particular – it's not like he has one knee that he keeps injuring over and over, you know. It doesn't seem to be one particular uh, problem area. And so I'm curious, does he just have – is he just prone to injury? Uh, I think injury proneness is is thrown out a lot, but you know some people probably are more than others. Um, is he one of those guys? Or I've also seen uh, reports that I can never find actual sources for that say that Evans has been uh, intentional and or vocal about wanting to kind of preserve his body and save himself for you know an NFL workload throughout college. You know. Whether that's a, a good strategy as as a college running back or not is a different question, but I don't know the truth to that. I don't know if you've heard anything, but I think there are, you know, th- these concerns that people have about him off of the field, I think are, can in some cases be easily explained and in other cases are just silly. Yeah. Um, and in other cases, it's, you know, we just don't have enough information to make in actual determination so we shouldn't act as if 
their negatives on his profile when they very well might not be. Yeah. The positive for fantasy GMs is that is that is that you're gonna get him at a at a price that or an investment price where it's gonna be worth taking the chance on him. You know, because mm-hmm. it's likely that the NFL the NFL is also some teams are very good at um sussing out character issues. Some teams suck at it. I mean, like I've I've shared this a lot, the story a lot, but it's the idea of, you know, it's the idea of, and I've heard this discussed. It's the idea of going to, you know, finding out that the kid parties a lot, and so one scout, one scout for a team will will just take that to the bank from the recruiting coordinator, and say that he parties a lot, and they just remove him from the board, or they downgrade him because they don't because the the school the the team doesn't have law enforcement experts or industrial psychologists who know how to ask the right questions how to investigate something how to take the information that's there and edit and actually make an assessment of it sometimes they have these scouts to make assessments and scouts aren't experts in that for the most part uh, some right. of them become that way but there's not a real training program for that. So some of them will do that. Some will at least go to the bar and they'll ask a, a, a wait staff, hey, I have a picture of this kid. Does he come in here? Yeah, every every Tuesday, Thursday, you know, every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday night. Okay, thanks a lot, you know. And then they leave. <laughs> say he's, the, he's there all the time. And then another one would go, well, yeah, okay, so he's here Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday night. Um who does he come with? Oh, same same people every time. Does he drink? Nope. He brings a bottle of water. Oh, really? Right. Yeah. How long is he here? 45 minutes to an hour and a half. Just talks to people. You know, other students come by and say hello to him. He's with the same guys. Never gets in trouble. Good tipper. You know, <laughs> even, though he, yeah. all, all, even though he just drinks bottles of water. You know? And he leaves. Mm-hmm. We never even, I mean, he, you know, we just know him because he's always here, you, you know, but it's for a short period of time. Well, that's way different. That's so different than what you have. And so I have to think that, you know, a good NFL team, but that, that's the problem is there may be a good NFL team that knows he's a non-issue, but they're like, we don't need a running back. So, right. you know, if he falls to us in the sixth round, great. There may be another team that really needs a running back that isn't so good at it and goes, well, we'd take him in the third round if we knew that his character wasn't an issue. But, man, you know, you know, we think his character is an issue and it's not for the right reasons. And they're like, mm-hmm. we're not take, we're taking him off our board. So that's the craziness about draft capital and the assessments with it that can occur. I mean, Russ Landy, who, who's usually on our Scout Talk show, talks about Jimmy Smith all the time. The, the the Ravens cornerback because everybody there was teams that took him off the board because um, they said he was a bad dude like got in a lot of trouble he smoked pot that was the only <laughs> thing he did was that he smoked pot and now it's you know it's legal in a lot of places and it's become a less a much more decriminalized this situation and he's a bright engaging like mature guy who has never been in trouble. And the Ravens were like, yeah, he smokes pot. Okay. So 
that's what he got in trouble for, we're not going to make a big deal out of it. And there are a lot of teams that lost out on a pretty good player. So, so with that in mind, I mean, we have other players that we could talk about. I mean, we could talk about Evans all day, but if you want to wrap up Evans, fine. But I'd love for you to talk about Devin Achain because, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name correctly because I don't listen to the broadcast very much. Um, <laughs> but if you, but I'd love for you to talk about him because I know he he ranks pretty highly on your board. And I'd love also for us to talk, maybe if we can also talk about Tajay Spears and maybe a little tie on Evans because I'm, I'm a fan. And so I, I, yeah, I'd yeah. like, I haven't, I, you're the only other person I've seen talk about Tyon Evans as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's, let's go with a chain. Um, I, I am not 100% positive how to pronounce his name. I, what I've seen most is Devon. So that's Devon. what I've gone with okay. Devon a chain. Um, but I think, you know, Evans, I think has, you know, kind of the talent to be, the RB1 in this class, you know, looking back after five years, I don't think that's likely. I think it's probably, you know, Bijan. But sure. e Evans is a guy who has the ability to do it. I think Gibbs is a guy who has the ability to do it. A-Chain is also a guy who I believe has the ability to do it. I think pound for pound, he's he's the best talent in this running back class, in my opinion. Uh, you don't get... Uh, you know, running back play is not graded on a curve on the field, so he doesn't get credit for being the best pound for pound. But I think it's, you know, that's just how I would express how good I think he is. If he was 210 pounds, I think he would be the best player in this running back class uh, because he's incredibly explosive, incredibly fast. His his uh, efficiency numbers that I like to look at are just off the charts, and he and they're not they're not shaped the way that you would expect for a 188 pound running back who has near Olympic speed, you would expect that guy to look like, uh, you know, super high efficiency, maybe low uh, per carry, you know, consistency, like boom bust output on a per carry basis as they try to, you know, bounce everything to the outside or it's either a 50 yard touchdown or nothing. A-Chain did not produce like that on a per carry basis really at all. He was He's no Kevin Coleman, huh? No, no, he's he's not Tevin <laughs> Coleman. He, he uh, there were times on film where I thought I wish he would have bounced this one outside because I think there was a little bit more space. But he, he he's just focused on getting north south. Um, he's he's got impressive like he's he's got bouncy feet and bouncy hips that allow him to make these these kind of lateral cuts while still maintaining a north south path, kind of slaloming through defenders and blocks on his way to the open field. Um, and I think he runs with uh, – he's got below average play strength, I think, just because he's so small. But there are a lot of guys with below average play strength who are like 215 pounds, 210 pounds. Uh, I think Chase Brown is that way. Uh, Jameer Gibbs is that way, who's, you know, 13, 12, 10 pounds heavier than than A-Chain. Izzy Abanacanda, I believe, is, is, is that way to a certain extent. Uh, so I, I don't think A-Chain's play strength is – deficient relative to a lot of other normal sized running backs it'll never be a be in you know a strength for him um but i don't think it's terrible and i think he's he's a functional pass catcher who can make things happen out in space he can do all the things as a receiver that zach charbonnet can um and people view zach charbonnet as a three down back hn can do the same things uh he's just way more athletic in the open field and there's i don't think there's anybody who can who can stay with him on like a wheel route 
up the sideline out of the backfield. I, I'm not sure that there's a, a linebacker or a, a, a nickel corner or a safety in the league who can who can stay with him. Um, and he's just one of the best decision makers and uh, cerebral runners that I uh, that I've watched in this class. He's he's a good a good gap runner. He's a good inside zone runner. I think he's probably pretty well suited to an outside zone scheme in the NFL where you can get him on the edge. He can just plant and go. Um, but I think he's got a lot of scheme versatility. I think he can play on all three downs. Uh, the question for me is just, uh, I, I've kind of excused myself from evaluating pass blocking this offseason because I just have no frame of reference. I have no base of knowledge from which to do that. So uh, I don't know how how good he is at pass blocking. That could be a... a you know, a, uh, an obstacle for him getting on the field on, on as many th- th- uh, third downs as we'd like to see. And there's the element of, uh, can he hold up to a workload in the NFL? Do coaches think he can, uh, you know, hold up under a workload in the NFL? What kind of, of role do, do NFL personnel, people in NFL, you know, coaching, uh, uh, coaching staffs have for him in the NFL? But as far as, you know, who are the best players on the field in this class, in the same way that I, you know, kind of acknowledge that Evans has these other question marks, but is a really good player on the field, I feel the same way about A-Chain. He's, and, and, and with both of these guys, Evans and A-Chain both, I, I you know, I, I did my evaluation, have kind of done my analysis, and then move on to other players, and then I see on Twitter or in other people's analysis, uh, you know, nitpicking or you know people finding legitimate you know flaws in their games or or concerns and and i go back uh because you know those things naturally seep into your thought process um so i go back to try to refresh myself or uh you know check my my initial process and every time i go back to evans and a chain i i just my my initial impression just gets strengthened it's like no the things that i saw on film are still the things that i see on film um despite you know the 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 things I'm hearing from other people, but yeah, I, I'm I know you're lower on a chain than I am. I'm interested in hearing hearing your thoughts, but I just thought he was uh, really one of the best players in the class, uh, size considered or not. Sure, and listen, I mean, I have him as a rotational starter. Anytime you are above an eighty, you have a chance to be a starter in the league. I think you have a chance to develop into that kind of a player. Um, and I have him listed in that range. Now, the size thing for me was a little bit more of a deal, but at the same time, he he had some pretty good marks with breaking through reaches, bouncing off hits, um, you know, and he was able to do it against some larger defenders. Um, you know, I think that for him, you know, the pass protection like you talked about, um, what I would say is he actually showed some improvement from... 2021 to 2022 um he he showed some ability to identify um to identify certain types of blitzes that he's going to see a lot in the nfl like cross blitzes um he times his cut blocks better than what he did he's um, timing them well and getting good height on them he's actually kind of using what i call standing cut block across the frame of, of defenders which um rather than trying to leave his feet um, but it's working. He can use his hands well. Um, they they can be a little bit tighter, but they're things that can be refined. Are you going to expect him to take on defensive ends or strong side linebackers in the NFL? I doubt it. You know, 
Um, not unless he's able to add additional weight to his frame. And maybe he can add another 10 pounds to his frame and be, you know, I don't know. But at, at 5'8", you know, again, Maurice Jones-Drew was over 250 at one point. And he was, what, 5'6", or 5'7", five, 5'8", five, somewhere around that range. So if yeah. Devin A-Chain can be 208, you know, I thought LaMichael Le- Le- James was around that range. And I know a lot of people are like, oh, LaMichael Le- James wasn't all that good. I think LaMichael Le- Le- James was a little bit before his time. So I kind of see mm-hmm. him as a LaMichael James type of player who, you know, if you have a lot of work from pr- pistol, shotgun, spread the field, like you said, wide zone, some gap plays, he's the type of player that could work out well in that respect. I mean, I I just think that, you know, if he, if he just improves his blocking and then maybe, you know, in terms of decision-making, I thought he had a good feel for cutbacks. Um, I thought he was disciplined about following and setting up blocks and gap. He was good with lead blockers. Um, you know, I didn't see anything where anything stood out that was an, an issue with his decision making at all. So for me, it's just about it's just about can he break tackles, push a pile, bounce off contact, and get better as a pass protector. If he proves that. He can do both, you know, show more power and contact balance on a consistent basis and and improve his pass protection a little bit more. You're looking at a guy who's a borderline starter in my grades. It's not that far away. So, yeah, you know, to me, I was looking at the, I have him 11th on my board, but this was, I've told pretty much my readers that, or 12, you know, I think he's 11th or 12th, but my top 12 guys are the guys that I think could be starters in this league. He's just at the bottom of that, of those two tiers that I think consist that, but I'm not worried. You know, to me, we're talking, you know, that's why I like tiers more than rankings because it's like, mm-hmm. what can you improve? You know, you know, if, if you're, I, I look at it this way. If I, if I were to tell you back a has a score that I have as an immediate starter, but there's not much more he can improve upon. Um, but back B has two things that he can improve upon and it would vault his grade like six points if he could do it and it would make him higher than the got than back A. Um, and those things are reasonable to expect some level of improvement, even if he didn't get all the way there. You'd still, I mean, you'd value that guy. So like H.A. to me... You know, when people see LaMichael James, because that's where I have him closest to, they go, ah, oh, that's not very good. But I like like I liked LaMichael James coming out of school. <laughs> um, I thought that there was, you know, there were certain skills with him that work well. And if Warwick Dunn is at the top of the board, you know, as, the, as a guy that I comped him to stylistically and dimensionally um, in terms of phys- physical dimensions... Warwick Dunn, LaMichael James is not bad for a 5'8", 188-pound back who might be 208 when it's all over with. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I've, I've seen Javid Best as a, another point of comparison. Yeah. I, I don't hate that. Uh, Raheem Mostert's not a terrible one. Um, and, and I do think that the sort of range of outcomes or developmental potential or area, those things are, are difficult to capture uh, in rankings or, or difficult to kind of calibrate 
you know, where in relation to each other players should go. So yeah, rankings are are tough in that regard. And I also think uh, back to the the weight thing. Uh, one one kind of theory I have or hypothesis I have, I guess, is that A Chain has been running on the A and M track team for the last three years. He he is a near world class level sprinter. Yeah. Uh, he's he's presumably now not going to be doing that. Uh, you know, near to the level that he's been doing for the last three years. If he was kind of splitting the difference between I you know the ideal body type he'd like to have for for sprinting versus the ideal body type he'd like to have for running the football. If he was kind of not hitting either ideal and instead splitting the difference, and now he's just playing football, I don't see why he wouldn't bulk up. He's, he was already heavier at the Combine than he was uh, listed on the AM roster, just by a little bit, but we saw him add weight, still run really fast. And then even if he still wants to run track, we've seen other guys, running backs have short careers in the NFL, uh, we've seen other guys put track careers on hold and then come back to them after their football careers. Olympic sprinters, you know, they, you know, the top guys are 26, 27, 25, 28 years old. A-Chain could, ha could bulk up for an NFL career, play five years in the league, retire, slim back down and go try out for the Olympics. Like... I just think there, there's more there's more here than just this was a small running back yeah. and he he's always going to be a small running back. He'll always be small, but I think there's some kind of contextual factors that are relevant to maybe he adds more weight than a guy who has been focusing on playing running back the whole time anyway, where A-Chain has kind of had his, his attention split between football and another sport. Yeah, I think that makes total sense. I mean, even if it's another five or ten pounds... Um... You know, I don't think he's going to be a. I don't know if twenty pounds is really realistic for him. But at the same time, it yeah, you know, get him to one ninety five. Yeah, one, that, that's a little more palatable. Yeah, and I mean, let's remember, um, you know, Clinton Portis had a strong season at one ninety at one ninety five um, for the Denver Broncos as a rookie. Now he worked his way all the way up to about two twenty um, at one point when he was with Washington. Um, but you know, again, I think 10 to 15 pounds is reasonable and we're talking even 203 and they, even if they use them as a lead back, but with a kind of in a, in the DeAndre Swift spiller kind of way where they're going to get a fair enough, enough touches to be a fantasy factor, a strong fantasy factor. They just may decide that they want a, a bigger back in a certain role and and but mm -hmm. the consistency of touches is going to be there so what about tajay spheres where, where i saw you tweet something about maybe we're all just kidding ourselves i i think i'm paraphrasing <laughs> maybe we're all kidding ourselves and what we need to understand is that tajay spears is clyde edwards hilaire but is that clyde edwards hilaire the way people thought clyde edwards hilaire was going to be you know if you're looking at like the espns of the world who were thinking they were getting marshall falk or or is it the or is it the Clyde Edwards Hilaire that a lot of people were disappointed to see is the be, always banged up um you know uh, um open field bully in terms of power but can't really move a pile doesn't have much speed his burst is okay and then he's not getting opportunities to catch the ball the way that you would think he would yeah i think 
probably somewhere in the middle. I don't think, uh, I mean, I think Edwards Delaire was overdrafted, uh, but I also think he's probably now a little overhated. His his career hasn't gone the way that anybody would have hoped, but, no. but I think the truth of his ability probably lies somewhere in the middle of that. And I think that's also true of Tajay Spears. I've also uh, kind of rolled Michael Carter around in my head as sure. a, a point of comparison. Uh, Dion Lewis, um, you know, I don't think Austin Eckler is a terrible one. I've seen Aaron oh. Jones. Uh, if you know, if Tajay Spears could add, you know, five to ten pounds, uh, maybe he could be an Aaron Jones type guy. But I, yeah, I've I've done quite a bit of work on him, uh, or dedicated quite a bit of thought on him, uh, just recently. Um, and I think, I, yeah, a week ago I would have had no idea what to think about Tajay Spears. I think now um, he's an interesting case study for me and i'm interested to hear your thoughts because i think he's so good out in space so good out in the open field he's elusive he he does a great job in in a very alvin camara like way of kind of absorbing contact and flopping away from it and of kind of dipping his shoulder and making these little weird swings of his hips and his and his legs to sort of minimize the contact that he's he's absorbing on a given play because he's he's not a super big guy, he's not a super powerful guy, but I do think he has these different ways of creating contact balance for himself, kind of out of thin air. He's a very coordinated athlete. He made a really impressive like spinning catch on just kind of a simple throw to the flat against I don't remember who it was, but right there on the sideline with a guy like hanging on him, and he like dipped his shoulder, spun away, and like tiptoed to gain like three extra yards on the sideline. And that's not athleticism that's going to be captured in testing, but he. He just feels like a very coordinated and well-balanced athlete to me, especially out in space. I have some questions about his ability behind the line of scrimmage. Um, maybe maybe it's a vision issue. Th this is the area of my analysis where I'm least confident. I'm I'm fairly self-taught. Uh, you know, watching your YouTube videos and watching you know schematic breakdowns of running back play and offensive line responsibilities and things like that. So I'm self-taught from like a evaluating running back decision-making standpoint. Um, so I'm interested in your thoughts, but I was not as impressed by his his vision, his discipline behind the line of scrimmage, his ability to manipulate defenders, um, but so, so good out in space. And so he presents a dichotomy for me where I, I don't know yet how I should weigh the value of, you know, kind of instinctive ability to make people miss out in space and break tackles you know if we were playing tag Tajay Spears would be awesome he'd be one of the best tag players in this in this class but running back is only tag once you've already gotten to the open field and before that it's not a game of tag and I I don't I don't know yet how to kind of weigh the value of a guy who would be great at tag versus a guy who I view as maybe a, a substandard decision maker behind the line of scrimmage. Um, so I'm, I'm interested in hearing your thoughts on just kind of that dichotomy and that concept, um, as well as do you agree about my, you know, on my assessment of Tajay Spears' kind of cerebral ability, or do you, did he look a little bit more favorable to you there? Yeah, I'll, I'll put it to you this way. I, I mean, I can see the Camara um, comparison, but the guy that I, when I think of in terms of that refined, ability to do those things at the size that he's at it, that guy's Jamal Charles 
and I haven't really compared anybody to Jamal Charles. I don't. It's been a while since I've done that, and the one that I did do was kind of faulty. He was far. I mean, I he was fur. I didn't compare him directly, but he was kind of far further away. Um, and that was Justin Jackson had a lot of some some of those qualities to his game, but um, Tajay Spears, you know, in terms of um, so yeah, in terms of um, vision with Spears, I really, I really liked what I saw in twenty twenty one. I thought he could be quicker with avoiding potential penetration. Um, I thought that he could be a little bit late with when he needed to bounce plays. Um, but I thought he's done a good job um, of being with wide zone, selling the potential for the cutback. You know, obviously in the open field, I thought he was one of the best two open field runners in this class, regardless of position. You know, I think like him mm-hmm. and Tank Dell, the the wide receiver for Houston. That, that guy was one of... Uh... I, I, I did some wide receiver evaluations for uh, a, a rookie draft guide that I was contributing to. And Tank Dell, he just pops off the screen. It was like Michael Vick, Dante Hall, you know, Tavon Austin in college. You know, level of competition caveats apply. But I, I haven't seen many guys look as quick compared to the competition they're playing as, as yeah. Tank Dell. He was, he was something else. The only thing that he does that that he needs to get better at is that he can lean too hard on juke moves or stop start moves that slow him down um where mm. he should just be thinking about getting the most yards he can rather than like trying to go for that low percentage big play that can cost him yards on the ground that he could get but like duo counter inside zone wide zone power i thought he did a good job of being able to press um press blocks or press the correct shoulder of the puller um, set up the development of the blocks um, so I liked that I thought he cut spot cut back opportunities early in zone runs and was efficient with it wind back he was also good at setting up so I think there's the peripheral visions good there may be plays that you saw that that I, and I'm sure that I've seen them as well where maybe he could have pressed a little bit tighter maybe he missed something but overall what i saw on his game was very strong um so i'm a i'm a believer that spears is is you know barring the fact that he's had what two acl tears um Mm -hmm. is that you know i mean frank gore had two acl tears and had a career that a lot of fantasy gems wish ended like seven years earlier. Um, but uh, <laughs> at least if you listen to the, to those folks, but I love Frank Gore, but, um, but Jamal, Char- you know, Jamal Charles is a huge name to put out there, but I think he's, I think he's a tier below that. And I think, you know, that's a pretty awesome tier to be in. And, and that makes him a top five back in my class in my, um on my board. And I believe that, He's going to. He's one of those backs that has a spatial awareness to win in certain ways that are very daring. And just like Charles, mm-hmm. they're going to need maybe a year to like really figure out what they can get away with in the NFL and what they can't. And once they once he does, that's when you're going to see the most efficient version of him. 
and know where that creativity works best for him. Because Charles was that way. Charles, I've always described as the, the kid who was failing algebra because he was at home late at night doing physics experiments. Um, and, <laughs> and, he was, and he was always trying to bounce plays that he shouldn't or trying to bounce against three gaps that you're like, why are you doing that? Like, just take what's there. But he would try and do that yeah. crazy stuff. And then in Kansas City, it took him about a year. And because he was bouncing a lot of things outside and trying for cutbacks that were just wild plays. And he got, you know, he got that worked out of him and figured out there's certain situations where I can do that, but not nearly as many. And I think Spears, I mean, look, look at this way. The, U, the USC game, which I didn't think was his best game, but it certainly was a a highlight-worthy game. Most because productive of, one, yeah. Yeah. When you look at him where he makes a cut against the middle linebacker where he gives a leg and takes away in the middle of the crease, nobody does that as a decision-maker at the NFL level unless you're like Barry Sanders or Jamal mm -hmm. Charles or – or LaShawn McCoy, you're an elite pack. But to have the balls to do that against a, a Pac-10 team like that and get away with it, that tells you a lot about the confidence he has in his movement skills and how good his movement skills are. And I think that he'll learn. He's the type of back that will learn like, okay, this works, this doesn't. So I'm very high on Tajay Spears um, as a player. And and like if you ask me, if you ask me, while it would be a surprise, it wouldn't be that shocking if Tajay Spears and Zach Evans were the best two backs career-wise if they stay healthy and Robinson and Gibbs don't or or have right. run into some issues. Like I think they're I think they're not so far away from those two guys in terms of like grades okay okay yeah. yeah i think um i just had a thought what was it um oh about about spears and uh you talked about making these kind of uh you know speculative or you know aspirational moves that just most people wouldn't attempt and, and i think uh kind of what i saw on film maybe jives with that where my kind of the lowest graded area I had for him, I think was in, in discipline, which is kind of where I define as, you know, uh, adhering to structure and not, you know, kind of uh, bailing for kind of early opportunities or, you know, more speculative opportunities. And if he's a, a dominant player out in the open field, especially against that level of competition, he probably has a little bit more confidence to try things that he, you know, wouldn't or shouldn't maybe in a different context. And so, you know, you can kind of kind of paint yourself a picture of how a guy who doesn't actually have deficiencies in this area might exhibit them given his other strengths and then have, you know, some some growing pains as he, you know, uh, kind of acclimates to a higher level of competition in the NFL, but eventually figures it out and has the physical tools to be really effective. So, yeah, I, I even though we came away with kind of different different uh, uh conclusions from his film i i don't think that our our conclusions are yeah. are necessarily you know mutually exclusive or or yeah in you know kind of uh, we're coming at it I don't, we're it, coming in from the, we're heading in the same direction from different points 
Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. They're not they're not in opposition to each other. I, I can I can make sense of what you're seeing in context of what I'm seeing. And I, yeah. I think that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's I think I think that's good. That Yeah, I think so, too. And it's funny because like from from my perspective, it's kind of like you think of like quarterbacks who try to force the ball in the tight spots um, because they have a big arm and they were able to do it in college. And they're doing, and they have the athletic ability to do it on the move. So your Patrick Mahomes, your Caleb Williams, your your Matthew Stafford, you know, your any of these types of players, um, you eventually learn if you're going to get in the league when you can try and do that, or when you have to try it, and when you shouldn't try it at all. And a lot of guys who do succeed figure that out. And I think it was the same with running back when I mentioned. When I mentioned Spears in the same level of McCoy and Charles, I know that that was an amazing draft class for running backs. Because that, that was Forte. Um, it was yeah, McFadden. Stewart. Stewart, you know. Um, yeah. D'Angelo Williams, was that? No, that wasn't that class. But um, I think Williams was 06. Yeah, that was 06. But Stewart was definitely... Stewart was definitely part of that class. It was one of the best classes I've ever graded. Mm-hmm. And and I think I had Charles like ninth and maybe McCoy seventh mm. because like you with Spears, I was approaching it from the standpoint of, well, I don't know if they're going to fix this. You know, these are right. wild things that they're doing. There's They're, they're good backs. They're talented. They're going to have a role. But how good are they going to be? Because they have some decision-making flaws with what they do. And it's like, now it's kind of like, and, and and also theirs were a little more rampant than what I saw from Spears. But at the same time, it's it could very well be the case that I'm looking at Spears and I'm seeing Charles and, and McCoy from my perspective of how I looked at things. And, and when I project, you're projecting based on what you've learned or what you've seen and based on what you've seen in the NFL. So I could very well be over projecting and saying yeah i i'm too optimistic with where this is gonna go based on looking at two of the bet two of the most elite players of their generation of that type of style of play you, you know and maybe i'm being too optimistic with that so it's a it's a fun discussion point for sure yeah i've kind of i've kind of uh kind of wrestled with the same thing with a chain i think where you know, in in my mind, if we haven't seen the last, you know, severely undersized running back who's just a stud on all three downs, like you know Chris Johnson or Jamal Charles, if we if we haven't seen the last of that archetype, A Chain looks like the best candidate to be that guy, of you know really anybody we've seen since. Uh, you know, maybe you know throw Gibbs in there, uh, and so that's kind of like my high end. Uh, aspirational comp Uh, but then you have to weigh you know how likely is that uh, that's the ceiling but you know what's kind of like the median outcome what if you know the issues manifest themselves more readily in the NFL what if the issues don't get fixed there's just a lot of moving parts where even a player that has a great ceiling you know maybe shouldn't be ranked there or you know it's just it's such a case-by-case basis and it's difficult to know to know what to do in each case uh, because there's so many, yeah, so many confounding factors and, and contextual and environmental things that, that, that can contribute, you know, maybe, maybe these guys end up with a, a running back coach that helps them unlock these skills 
maybe one of them doesn't and you know just you know the the roll of the dice has a, has a lot to do with this absolutely well one thing that i can tell you is in the roll of the dice which was the opportunity to have these conversation this conversation with you um you can find noah hill's work at noahmoreparties.com also at noahmoreparties on twitter um and you know this was a fantastic show i had a good time talking with you we could have done a lot more players but we'd probably be here until nightfall and unfortunately yeah, yeah, that's just not going to work for today but um but no it was an absolute pleasure um thanks for joining me yeah i i appreciate you having me on this is a lot of fun um i'm sure we'll you know connect in the future um i love you know seeing your work learning from your work so i i have a lot of respect for you a lot of appreciation for you know the the level of detail and uh thoroughness you have in your process so um yeah thanks thanks for having me on this is this is a lot of fun well it was an honor and i appreciate i appreciate the kind words and i've certainly been enjoying your work it's a mutual admiration society and keep it up and uh for everybody out there you know again noamoreparties.com mattwaldman.com if you want to check out the rsp it's available you could pre-draft post-draft 2195 um you can read all about it there most of y'all who listen have already purchased and i really appreciate that um and i hope that you're enjoying it and uh you know if you want give me some feedback on this show maybe we can get noah back on and we can talk about some other backs y'all take care